0: here is a trustworthy saying if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer he desires a noble task now the overseer must be above reproach the husband of but one wife temperate, self-controlled respectable, hospitable able to teach not given to drunkenness not violent but gentle not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, So that he will not fall into the disgrace and into the devil's trap. Praise be to God for His Word.
1: Thank you, you, Russell, for uh, reading uh, that passage of Scripture. Let's uh, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for Your Word. We pray that as we sit under this Word, so look at this very important. topic of eldership lord leadership in this church uh, that you will guide us uh, and give us understanding uh, in this uh, passage lord this morning we humble ourselves before you and your word this morning in jesus name amen Uh, well friends uh, you may have received um, a study outline of thinking about eldership we thought it's best we uh, print a couple of uh, studies there for you it's taken from uh, Uh, the uh, PCB uh, materials that's available from the CENC. So that's further information for you uh, to look at this topic of eldership. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 7, together with Acts chapter 20. Uh, Someone's asked me how long this message is going to be. That's not the point. The point is this is an important topic. It's a very important aspect of the church's life because if we don't get the leadership right here, We are missing the mark. It is such an important thing. So please uh, keep your Bibles open to uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Acts chapter uh, 20 as well. We're going to study this word together. Well, leadership, what is it? What is it? Is our world today lacking leadership? What do you think? Is our country lacking leadership? We are aware of the ongoing citizenship saga, aren't we, in our federal parliament? The High Court made a decision. Some MPs who were sitting in the House were asked not to, they were not eligible to be there. I mean, that's pretty staggering, really. And it's continuing on. And at a time like this, you'd agree, I think, with me, that we need strong, decisive, clear, Leadership. Leadership that is in the best interest of this nation and not in the best interest of our politicians. You see, friends, whatever kind of leadership, be it a family, institution, organization, a country, or church as, is usually what ends up in that institution, organization, family, church, country, or world. For no organization rises above its leadership and so leadership is very important be it at the home or wherever it is exercised and leadership in God's church is vital it's critical and thankfully God has given us a blueprint of the standards that he expects from those who lead in the church and in particular elders and as we know, friends, that we as a church are in the process of electing new elders. I trust that you are in prayer about such a serious matter for us. What should we be praying for and looking for in the men that we want to take on in this subject, in the, on, on the eldership? What does God's word tell us about elders? What comes up in our minds when we think about elders? as a people who have lost their hair? Or people who have got gray hair, long beards, old. What comes up in our minds when we think maybe all of those things? What comes up in our minds when we think about elders? So let me encourage you to keep your Bible open, like I said, to this passage, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, and also to Acts chapter 20. Now you might say to me this morning, well, Chris, I am not going to be an elder in this church. I might as well tune out. Alright? I might as well tune out. I might as well surf the net on my phone. Don't do that. I might sit here and start planning to think, well, what am I going to have for lunch when I get home, when the sermon finishes? Oh, no, there's actually a congregation meeting afterwards. Don't know. Or what am I going to do the rest of the week? Alright? So I'm going to tune out this morning. It's not my thing, Chris. Why are you speaking about elders? Well, let me give you at least four encouraging reasons why you should not take time out, all right? And don't tune out. One, whilst what we are going to look at today as particular reference to elders, I think that there are general principles that apply to all Christians in this passage, all right? So don't tune out and say, this is not for me. If you're going to be a part of the process of electing new elders, the second one, then you need to know what is God's requirement and standard for elders is in God's word. The third thing that you should not tune out is because there may be men here who may want to prayerfully consider the role of an elder. And fourthly, God takes the matter of church leadership seriously and so should you and I. Four good reasons not to tune out, right? You're with me? Someone say yes, please. Ah, that's good. (laughs) And so the Apostle Paul as fully was fully aware of the need for leaders in the church and in particular elders. Paul, and let me give you some background here in Acts chapter 20, Paul had given himself fully and completely for three entire years to the ministry at a place called Ephesus. He describes his ministry in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, and I don't plan to go through the entire description of his ministry in Ephesus. I will select a portion of it for today. The introduction of this section is found in Acts chapter twenty. So, if you have your Bibles, keep those two passages open as well. Acts twenty, uh, second uh, in, in one Timothy as well. Uh, in, in Acts chapter twenty seventeen, we read this: "From now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him." Notice in Acts chapter twenty seventeen, the word "elders" is plural, and the word "church" is singular, at the church at Ephesus. And this is important for us to note. Elders is plural. We are a Presbyterian church. And By the way, let me say I'm going to repeat this sermon tonight, so you can come along as well, okay, this evening. We are a Presbyterian church, and we get this word Presbyterian from the Greek word, which is presbyteros, meaning elder. We are a church with elders, We are a church that is governed by elders. That is why we are called a Presbyterian church. And in this model of leadership, individual congregations submit themselves to a plurality of elders who form a session. And this plurality of elders is what sets us apart as a Presbyterian church. So if somebody asks you, what church do you go to? Oh, St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church. Well, what does that Presbyterian mean? Where is that coming from? Now, you should be able to answer, right? It means elder. It means a church that is governed by Presbyteros' elders. It is not governed by the congregation. That is congregationalism, right? Right? It is not governed by a singular bishop or archbishop or any one of those. Instead, we are ruled by Christ in our understanding of our church government through the plurality of the leadership of elders. And so in the PCB code in section three, we read this about the governing aspect of the session. Let me read it. Subject to the relevant civil law and to the law of the church and the jurisdiction and lawful directions of its higher courts, a session as jurisdiction and powers of government, discipline and oversight extending to every aspect of the life of any congregation of the charge. If a situation arises which is not covered by the civil law, the law of the church, the jurisdiction and direction of its higher courts, all these rules, a session may act as it considers best to protect or promote the welfare of the church or of its congregation or congregations. So as we see, elders are given the responsibility in the Presbyterian church in particular to govern the affairs of the church and to have oversight over the life of the church. And this oversight would mean pastoral care of God's people. And so Paul says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention. That is, he's speaking to the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own Blood. It's a very vital statement of fact that we have in the scriptures. That is to the elders to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which how the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for whose church? The church of God. And how has this church been? Been, been brought into existence, which he obtained with his own blood. Friends, we must be 100% clear that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. Is that correct? It does not belong to the elders, the plurality of elders. It does not belong to the ministers. It does not belong to you, the congregation. It belongs to Christ and our authority comes from Christ himself who has redeemed a church unto himself. And so, when a person becomes a member like we heard this morning, a question that is put to them is, do you promise to submit to the authority of the session as they exercise pastoral oversight of the congregation? It is a submission to the pastoral oversight by the session which authority of God as vested to that session now let's continue on in acts 20 see paul is saying now from my leaders he sent to ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him and when they came to him he said to them you yourselves know how i lived among you etc he says serving the lord with all humility uh, and without any profit and then he goes on and he says in one this we have this entire summation of his ministry here in this section how i did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to the jews and the greeks of repentance so paul gives a summation of his ministry it shows his humility and his boldness there is a large church a group in the church where they would gather together as one and then there are small groups where they were doing their discipleship house to house and after describing this, his ministry, Paul says this in Acts chapter 20, 26, 27. Therefore, I tes- testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. You see, Paul has discharged his pastoral ministry before the Lord. What a statement for any minister to be able to make. I have discharged my duties. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You see, any minister should be able to stand and be able to say, I am declaring to you the counsel of God. And he says, therefore I testify. That's what he says. And Paul knew that primary doctrine was what what primary doctrine was and what secondary doctrine was and he knew in a pastor's ministry you had to cover all of it and he was required to cover it appropriately, proportionately but he must cover all of it and so he declared the whole counsel of God to them and that is friends upholding the teaching of the inspired, infallible word of God both the old and new testament this is a church that believes it totally if there's an elder who does not believe this word of God this is not the place for you if the minister does not believe it, it is not the place for me either I should not be here and so we have this authority and so Paul is saying to these elders to this collective group of elders and he gives them this charge Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The word overseers, again, you can us use interchangeably. And he says this in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among yourselves, your own selves. Look at that. That is the elders will arise men speaking twisted things. This is Acts 20, okay? To draw away the disciples after them. These false leaders. You see, friends, to protect the flock well, we must know from whom we are protecting them from. Although our main adversary is Satan, is unseen, he manifests himself in very tangible ways through others. He attacks the church multiple ways. But also, Paul is speaking here of false teachers, and he calls them fierce wolves. Have you ever seen a wolf? Hmm? The wolf does not come to say, hey, good day, how are you going? The wolf, when he comes to a sheep pen, he is going for it, right? That's what he does. And Paul is calling these false teachers fierce Wolves. Now, we know that wolves don't, uh, you know, they they don't come into a church and say, you know, I am a wolf. No, they they, they disguise themselves. They come in there. These false teachers, they don't just come in and announce their presence. They, They creep in unnoticed. And sometimes the individual may not even be trying to intentionally lead people astray. Nevertheless, their false teaching hurts people. It destroys the understanding of the scriptures. It destroys the standing of God's people. When false teaching comes to the place, there has to be something that has to be done. For example, there were some in the Galatian church who were false teachers. You know that we studied the book of Galatians. Some seek to subtract Christ's lordship from the believer. There are plenty of wolves around in sheep's clothing today. Are they not? They'll have they will wear everything that looks so pious right from head to toe and you ask them about the scriptures we don't believe it you ask them about Christ ooh yeah Christ is not the only way right hey? there's lots of ways to god talk to them about sexuality oh yeah god did i mean adam and eve they're just uh, nobody's it doesn't matter sexuality doesn't matter you can do anything you want that's all old-fashioned stuff. You know, this, this, this Bible stuff, it's all old. <laughs> have you heard of that? You heard ministers say those things? I'm thinking, man, where on earth have you been? <laughs> what are you representing? What are you teaching your people? What type of wolf are you? You should not be allowed close to the pulpit. No way. You know, I'm on a committee, on a national committee that interviews prospective ministers come from other countries and all over the place we have six of us guys we sit down and uh, sometimes i know some people we give them a hard time right one is in this congregation remain nameless but (laughs) the point is right the point is we go through a very rigorous system and i go through the application we interact with each other and i always come back to basic simple stuff tell me where do you stand on the word of god where do you stand about salvation what do you think about uh, how a person is justified? All those things, sometimes very basic, but we want to know of these guys. We had a candidates committee meeting last week at South Yara. I'm on the candidates committee, actually, a the convener there. And we had to interview, a, a, we had to give the trials for license of one of our students in our presbytery. We gave him the hard questions. You see, we need to know who these people are. Who are they coming into our pulpits? And that is why it's extremely important, friends, to evaluate and coach those who are leading. One wolf in a sheep pen can ravage the entire flock. Yes? Just one wolf. And the same is true in the church. Our false, one false teacher in the congregation can cause untold damage. And so, therefore, pastors and elders in particular, it is your job, it is my job, To protect the flock from wolves. And so Paul certainly knew this. And how did Paul know Satan would attack the church after he left Ephesus? We don't know that. But perhaps he got a word from the Lord that it would happen. And now Paul says that when I leave, Satan will renew his attack. so So I want you to be ready for it. Bad news, friends. They weren't ready for it. They didn't. And the church in Ephesus began to disintegrate. right and the apostle paul left there as the holy spirit had told him and he was captured and imprisoned in jerusalem for a number of years and then he moved to caesarea by sea and an extended imprisonment there before before kings and rulers such as festus uh, felix and agrippa and then by his appeal he was sent to rome and was his roman imprisonment and a few years after he had given this admonition to the elders at ephesus he was released from the East roman imprisonment and he found out what did he find out that the church in ephesus was in disarray the church in ephesus had begun to disintegrate and the apostle paul was now also a church planter a church revitalization guy and so he sends this letter He he wrote a handbook, as it were, and gave it to his best disciple to go back to revitalize the church at Ephesus. This disciple's name was Timothy. In fact, he sent two men, Titus and Timothy. And so here in Timothy, Paul says to Timothy that the elders that you're going to choose and to elect and put into office have to be qualified men godly leaders so that the church of ephesus would be restored with good teaching and godly leadership so what are we to look for friends when we think about these leaders that god would want for his church look at your text there we see his office isn't it in verse 131 the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble Task. he begins by saying that this is a trustworthy saying the pastoral letter one and second timothy and titus they have five such reliable saints i won't mention it all this morning the word aspire means to stretch oneself out in order to touch or to grasp something to reach after or desire something and the word overseer episkopos and as i said it's used interchangeably with the word presbyteros right it refers to the same thing an overseer these overseers are the men in the congregation who are called to collectively rule and shepherd the household of faith his church now some people misinterpret this and say that the aspiring is noble i i, I don't really think so the aspiring is not what is noble but i think it is the job that is noble <laughs> That is what we are called to do and when we aspire, we are aspiring to nobility that is something that is beyond the normal, something in which we have a responsibility to ask the Lord as we occupy the former positions of leadership in the church. God, please allow me not only to be effective but to never bring dishonor to this office that you have established in your church. There are many things that may be lawful for me to do, but for the sake of the office, let me not do so. I need to be able to think my way through to honor the nobility of this office of eldership. He aspires to the office. It's not that the office that aspires to the man. The man seeks the office. Do you see the difference here? It's a wise thing that we see here. If the office seeks the man, that may contribute to a man's pride where he might be tempted to think, look, they have to have me. Man, what a great guy I am. The church needs me as an elder. I'm so gifted So, they need to have me as an elder. No, no. Notice that this is a noble task, friends. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble work. He desires, he longs for it. And this desire must be a longing. And this should be the attitude of the heart before the Lord. This is my longing, God. I want to serve you as an elder. He desires an honorable work, it's not a status. I'm an elder. It's a nice status, right? It's a job. It's a task. You get your hands dirty. You walk alongside people. You travel with them. You journey with them. You give time. A job requires a commitment. And as an elder, as one aspiring, he must deal with this question. And the question must be this. Can I give time for this job? That the Lord has laid on my heart. Can I? What makes this work noble? Serving Christ and his church. What a pursuit. What an honor. I always think, friends, what an honor it is to shepherd God's people. What an honor it is. I, I just say for myself personally, I do not take that honor lightly. And I'm sure others don't either. But it is a great privilege. You know, ministry, this, that, everything, eldership, all that can be tough and hard and everything. But friends, I say, it's it's an honor. What a privilege to serve the king in all our lives. And so is character. Right? Look at verses two onwards. Therefore, an overseer must must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And you look at verses two and three. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Right? His character. You see, this is what God is expecting of His leaders. That an overseer or elder is to be above reproach. What does it mean to be above reproach? The word that is used here in the Greek means a blameless life. To be blameless, not sinless. (laughs) Imagine if God had put the word sinless there. (laughs) Wouldn't, would he? Because only Christ was sinless. No one will want to be. I I will be out of this place in a second. It's Blameless. See, because, why above reproach? Because he is God's steward or manager over God's flock, the household. He's to be conscientious conscientious in his conduct by not discrediting Christ or the gospel. And what we see here, I believe, is about a person's character. It means that before the church family, the person has exhibited progress in his faith as a Christian. And his character displays the necessary requirements for the task. In this regard, his life is blameless. He's not perfect. He's not sinless. He's blameless. That is that he has set things right with the Lord and with those uh, in his own household as well. And so we see here, he's a husband of one wife, man. Does it mean, friends, that if a man is not married, that he can't be an elder? Does that mean that? What would happen to Paul? Was Paul married? No. Okay. No, Paul was not married. The point here is that the elder is not to be, from my understanding, a ladies' man. Right? I mean, guys, take note of that, right? He's not to be a womanizer. He's not to be a guy who's flirting around. There are no other women in his life. This, I think, has a further application here, and that is about his sexual behavior. There should be no hint, I think, of any immoral sexual behavior in the life of an elder. Cannot be. He's a husband of one wife. If he's a married man, right, then he should be faithful to his wife, and this must be evident in his marriage. If he's a married man, then the legitimate question will be, how is his marriage going? How is his relationship with his wife? What's happening in his home life? How does he treat his wife? Is the marriage going strong? How is his relationship? If he's a married man, then let him love his wife as Christ loved the church. And let him enjoy his wife. He is to be sober-minded, temperate. That is, such a person is well-balanced, reasonable, discernible in approach to life. Self-controlled, he is of a sound mind and sensible in his judgments. He is a person who will act responsibly when challenges come. He is clear-headed. He does not overreact. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't overreact. Any of us guys know that, right? There are times, but you know the underlying thing of self-control. Because if you lose it, you are affecting the body of Christ. He's respectable. He's orderly and well-behaved. He's hospitable. A hospitable, generous is generous to guests. The love of strangers, as in Romans chapter 12, he practice hospitality. He should be willing to open his home and invite people along. And Christians, in particular, and particular all Christians, but in elders, must pursue hospitality, which helps to befriend people. You get to know people around the table, don't you? Right? You might have food there on the table. Filipino food. Sri Lankan food, Indian food, Aussie, well, barbecue stuff. (laughs) I don't know, right? Or dumplings and all that kind of thing. And you get to know people around the table, right? You sit there on the table, you have food around the place, sit down, you talk, you get to know them, you get to know about their families, you talk about what's going on in their lives. Man, you get to know lots of things about people. I have two guys who mentor me. I catch up with one guy sometimes, uh, well, both guys regularly. We catch up over lunch. We'll sit down and talk for two hours. And I come home my kids might say, what? what were you doing so long? I spoke. She had so much to talk with one guy. Of course we did. Food and talking goes together, right? Hospitable. He's not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not a drunk. Given to wine. Too much wine, he should not be a drunkard. see it is drunkenness that is in view here, so let 's get that very clear. we don 't put legalistic stuff here that you can 't have a drink or anything like that. It is the drunkenness that is the issue here. He should not be lingering for wine, and in the process gets intoxicated, loses his mind. You see remember the church in Corinth? Some were getting drunk even at the lord 's table. they were coming for supper, lord 's supper, and what was happening? <laughs> they're getting drunk at the lord's table just as well we don't serve wine here right Uh, grape juice you can't get drunk with grape juice i don't think so anyway He's not not a violent person not a giver to blows not a striker a person who's ever ready with his fist He's gentle an elder must be gentle has to be friends this does not mean he's weak and he's a pushover, he must be gentle. This, this was the way our Lord and Savior Jesus dealt with people. He was strong but gentle. He was humble in heart, and the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. You see, if you cannot handle people with gentleness, I tell our pastors, well, including myself, you cannot survive in a congregation. Because if you don't deal with your people gently, what a chaos it will do. And so sometimes you have to take the barrage of all the criticisms, everything that comes your way, boom, boom, boom. The emails, the this, the that, everything. To say, Lord, give me a spirit of gentleness for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of your church, I will forsake my rights I don't care about. Because ultimately it's about you and it's about people. And be so gentleness and love. Not quarrelsome. Look at that again. A divisive, unnecessarily critical and somewhat abusive person, bitter in his speech, wanting to tell others off all the time. As Proverbs says this in 26-21, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. It takes only one cantankerous person to cause chaos. How do people see you? as a person. What comes up in their minds when they think of you? A quarrelsome person? Or a gentle person? What, what do they see? How would you like to be remembered? <laughs> not a lover of money. You see, money itself is not the issue, is it? I mean, we all need money to live and purchase food and everything else. The problem is not money, it's the love of money. That is the issue. He has no time to serve. Because he's always busy running after money. <laughs> so how can he serve the church? Because his money has become his God. He can never have time for anything because money has become his number one thing. And then his competency, isn't it, as we keep going here. Uh, there, there are, I believe, two competencies that the elder is to have 2B versus 2B, 4 and 5, all right? I, I put 2B in there and versus 4 and 5. Uh, he must manage his own household well. All dignity, have a look at that. Uh, he has to, because l- look at what the text says here. Uh, he's able to also teach, right? Two things, manages family. He manages his household. It is about his home, his relationship within his home. It's not saying that his, ho- his home is a perfect place. It's not saying that at all. If he, if he has kids, it does not mean that his kids are super perfect. Well, they should be. If you're an eldest kid, the minister's kid, you, there's no other standard. You have to be. That's expected, right? <laughs> his kids are not robots. They're not robots, right? He's a normal guy. Man, he's a normal guy. He goes through the challenges of his family life. He goes through family life with its ups and downs and its his joys and tears and stress. He's a guy who perhaps tells lame jokes, lame dad jokes to his kids and they never laugh at his jokes, right? He's a normal kind of guy. But what's the difference with this guy? The difference here is that he exercised a spiritual oversight in his home. That is laughter. You see, I was reading about this, and um, in fact, I think David, David Cook, I think, at our minister's camp, didn't he say that? I wish he could laugh and uh, laughed more. Did you hear that? And I came home and said, Ross, I'm going to crack some jokes. Let's laugh. doesn't work. I think, you know, laughter is a wonderful thing. I think we don't sometimes laugh? because wow oh, man to laugh is like oh when did you last have a great laugh there is joy isn't there this this a normal guy here right It's not in the text here, by the way, laughter, okay? So I'm just digressing. But he should exercise spiritual oversight and leadership in his home. Why? Because if he cannot look after his own family, then how could he manage the household of God? He must be able to look after his family by caring for them and leading them. And then the second requirement here competency is the fact that he's able to teach is apt and skillful in teaching does this mean that every elder has to be a preacher does it does it mean that every elder should be able to put the sermon together and come and preach here it doesn't mean that I mean if he can praise God for it I believe that Titus 1 9 is helpful in this regard about an elder's apt to teach look at what it says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it so friends this means that as he shepherds the people of god as an elder in the church he should be able to instruct people with god's word this means that an elder must be a student of God's word. He should be able to defend the faith where it's necessary with the word of God. The elders should be ready to defend the word of God and be resolute on the scriptures. Is that correct? Why? Imagine if they are not. The consequences. The elder recognizes sound doctrine as the heart of biblical understanding and essential vita- to the vitality of the church. So friends, for us to continue here, and we praise God for ministers who gone before me and, and our elders and so forth. For us to continue here, to be a vibrant church, this word, this doctrine should be taught clearly without any questions. And someone comes and questions the authority of the scriptures or questions the authority of Jesus Christ, you come back to the word. The elder will say, well, what do you think the Bible says about this? Let's have a look. If someone says, I don't believe the scriptures, well, what do you think God's word says about this? All scripture is inspired by God. Did you know that? (laughs) If someone says, I don't believe that Jesus is the way to God. Oh, what did Jesus say in the Bible? Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father through me, except through me. An elder will say, Let's look at what the Bible says. Oh, pastor or elder, I, uh, I have a problem with my wife. I don't, I don't uh, love her. Oh, well, well let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians about it. And a wife comes and Oh, I don't want to submit to my husband, you know. Oh, I can't even think of that guy. He's A, B, C, D, and the list goes on. Oh, oh lady, well, what do you think the Bible says about you? You know, that's the point, isn't it? Point people to the word. And then... His reputation, look at verse 6 and 7 here, Right? he must so two competencies. is managing his household, able to teach. He must not be a recent convert because he becomes puffed up, right, and conceited. The reason is very clear. He'll be filled up with smoke. That's the Greek word. Becoming conceited means to fill, fill, be filled up with smoke, or we may say full of hot air. And verse 7, moreover, he must be well taught of by outsiders. His reputation. That is, how is he known in the workplace? as as a man. How is he known in the sporting club when he's playing lawn bowls or cricket or tennis or whatever sport? How is he known among his non-Christian friends? How is he known in his neighborhood? Even his non-Christian friends, work colleagues should be able to see a genuine, godly, consistent nature of him. So in conclusion, friends, God has set the standards for the eldership in his church because The church is precious to him. It's his church. He cares for his people. That's why I read today from that Psalm 103. It's a father who has compassion for his people. He sent his son to die for the church. And if we have wrong leaders in the church, the church suffers. And you know what, friends? With godly elders, God blessed Timothy, and Ephesus went on powerfully for 55 years. It was the epicenter church for the gospel in Asia Minor. And then they got a new pastor, John, Pastor John. Right after Pastor Timothy, Pastor John took over. So, I mean, look at the line of pastors in that church. They had Paul, they had Timothy, Pastor John. And Jesus gave his evaluation of the church through John, did he not, in the book of Revelation? He says, you still test your leaders. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So they they knew the scripture. But you have this against you. For you have lost your first love. It's no fire. There's no compelling fire in the the body of Christ. Only complacency. Somewhere in those 50 years, the leadership baton didn't get handed off. And the wrong leadership got back in place. And it was a leadership without passion. That's what happened to the church. So, friends, elders are to be shepherds of the flock. This would be in caring for them. They must fulfill the requirements that God has set in his word. They are not perfect and sinless, but they should be blameless. Elders are appointed for the proper order in the church. Elders are to be an example to the church family. Uh, elders' work is noble. And so Paul says this when he writes to Thessalonians, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, And are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love, because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And the author to Hebrews echoes this theme in what what is likely, I think, the most famous passage that deals with submission to pastoral leadership. Hebrews 13:17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for, what, for that would be of no advantage to you. And in closing, I will refer to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 and 17. What is the motivation, finally, friends, they are elder or not? It should be, must be this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 and 17. Have a look with me, please. The saint is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying, in your service, in your motivation, it must be gospel motivated because of what Christ has done for us. And then in verse 17, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word. We have looked at it the best we can in the limited time we have you, Lord. But we pray that you will help us to, to read this over and over. We pray that you will guide us in our own Christian lives. to to live the way you would want us to live while this passage is particularly pertinent to elders but it is also applicable to us lord who are not elders that you would help all of us ultimately to serve motivated because of christ in jesus name amen friends we are going to bring our service to a close thank you for your patience